What's going on, Tag Gang? This is your wrestling encyclopedia and three-time Indian leg wrestling champion, Mr. Keith White. I am joined by nobody. Today is just me on the show. Uh, Jared's still recovering from that chair shot from Dominic Garini last week, or maybe a university textbook, whichever one he's dealing with right now. One of those two things is happening for him, but today we have a very special show. I'm actually going to be going over the history and significance of one Royal Rumble. Royal Rumble is coming up here on the 31st, and it is every year they have this. It's actually a really cool pay-per-view. It's one of my favorites. It's actually, I'd say, the second favorite pay-per-view that WWE puts on. So without further ado, let's just jump on in the show. Um, about the Royal Rumble, the concept was created by Pat Patterson, late Pat Patterson. Rest in peace. This was a great concept. Um, it reverses the idea of the battle royal where everyone is in the ring at once. That's how battle royals usually work. Everyone shows up and then they start kind of, you know, hitting each other. And the battle royal, to be real honest, is not that cool of a match because everyone's in there at once. That's a lot of people. And so all they can maybe do is punch and kick and try and knock guys out. It's not the best match uh, visually, aesthetically, but it is a great way to put people in there when you just need a gimmick match that has a lot of people that are not on the card otherwise. But Pat Patterson created the idea of the Royal Rumble, which changes things up. Entrants come in at 90 seconds or two minutes, depending on their entry draw. And it's an every man for himself concept, which fantastic. That is great for storylines. That is, um, it's been great over the years. Uh, it's just really made things uh, interesting little wrinkles, every man for himself, baby face versus baby face, heel versus heel alliances shattered tag teams broken up. It doesn't matter. And it's been really good in that sense. Um, so the Royal Rumble debuted in 1988 with humble beginnings as the Rumble Royale. That's what they called it at first, only 20 participants. And it was actually on the USA network. There wasn't even a pay-per-view yet with it. It was won by hacksaw Jim Duggan. And there was no prize besides winning it. it there was nothing to it. Um, and then the next year, it became a pay-per-view, and it became part of the big four. You have the Royal Rumble, you have WrestleMania, SummerSlam, and then Survivor Series. Now, I got to tell you, in order of importance, you got WrestleMania, of course, is first. That's the granddaddy of them all. SummerSlam is probably the next important. The WWE would probably tell you Survivor Series is up there, but I got to say Survivor Series is last. The stakes of the Survivor Series and the circumstances of the Survivor Series, I don't think are nearly as important as the Royal Rumble now. Oh, man. So with the Royal Rumble, big moments early on in the inception of the Rumble. Uh, first things first, you know, you have Hacksaw Jim Duggan winning the first one. Then you had Big John Studd with the second one. And then Hulk Hogan wins it twice, 1990 and 91. And in 1990, they actually set up the big confrontation with Hogan and the Ultimate Warrior during the Rumble match. They bumped into each other. They started kind of hitting their poses and getting really intense. And uh, that led to their WrestleMania six dream match, which has gone down in history. Royal Rumble also has had some great matches that actually aren't on the Rumble match itself. Check some of these out. This is awesome. Okay. On the actual Royal Rumble pay-per-view, this is what you've been able to see. Uh, first up, Bret Hart had some really good matches involving the WWF title with Razor Ramon in 1993. And then, trying to win the belt in 1995 with Diesel. That was Diesel's first title defense uh, after his win uh, and a huge victory there um, going against Bret Hart. Uh, 2001, 
Chris Benoit versus Chris Jericho in a ladder match for the Intercontinental Championship. I was actually in a bar for this one, and the place came unglued for this match. Uh, these two actually brought prestige back to the belt. Pretty much stole the show. It was fantastic. A great match, good ladder match, great storytelling. Um, nothing more can be said about that. 2003, speaking of things that can't be said much about, Benoit again versus Kurt Angle. I don't have to say a damn thing. Just those two names. What a fantastic situation. Uh, the year 2000, Hardy Boys versus Dudley Boys. And somewhere I'm getting a yes chant out of Jared for that one. 1999, Mankind versus The Rock. Uh, this one isn't that great, but uh, it's notorious. This is when the stipulation was I quit and Mankind got handcuffed and took hit after hit in the skull with unprotected chair shots. This one's also known for The Rock going overboard. Many of these shots are, were not talked about before or during the match between the two competitors. Just utterly nasty, man. Uh, if Mick Foley develops bad CTE, which he probably already has some, this match is going to be a huge culprit, unfortunately. But man, the last match I want to talk to you guys about, 2000, Tag Gang, the next year. This might be my favorite of all time of just non-Royal Rumble matches in the pay-per-view. The year 2000 saw Triple H as the top heel. Madison Square Garden versus Cactus freaking Jack. It was a street fight. The crowd was insane. Absolutely electric. Triple H and Cactus Jack, uh, they played into that crowd. They had masterful storytelling. Thumbtacks got involved. Uh, Jack's reputation for hardcore and death matches was played up by the announced team. There's actually a WWE Network documentary on how important this match was for both their careers. And like I said, the announced team was spot on. This match just had everything. It's my favorite. You have a bunch of uh, near falls and spoiler alert. It was the year 2000, uh, 21 years later. So I can tell you that Cactus Jack did not win. Um, and Triple H still talks to this day about how that match put him over as the top heel in the company and let people know that he was the real deal. Um, just a great match. So, if we're going to talk about the Rumble itself, we need to talk about the 1992 Rumble. Now, people can debate this all they want, but for me, my opinion, let's talk about why 1992 Royal Rumble is considered the greatest of all time. First things first, the undercard has some cool moments. The new foundation in the Orient Express put on a tag team clinic, and you really start to see the potential and skill of a young Owen Hart at that point. And... Man, I, I actually enjoyed the new foundation. Uh, not as much as the Hart Foundation, but for what they were, I'm a big fan. Uh, Jimmy Anvil, Neidhart, and then Owen Hart was doing things that most WWF audiences hadn't seen. So it's just a really cool combination of skills. Uh, then we have Rowdy Roddy Piper wins his first and only singles championship in the WWE. WWF, I should say, at that time. The Intercontinental Championship, he got it from the Mountie. This is just a fun match, and it also set up a rare babyface versus babyface match at WrestleMania 8 with Bret Hart. Speaking of Bret, oh my gosh, I can't wait to get into this with you guys, Tag Gang. The match was supposed to be Bret Hart versus the Mountie. But the announced team let everybody know that days earlier, the Mountie won the belt because Bret was battling 104-degree fever, and Piper takes his place. Mountie wins it at a house show. So you can figure out that because Piper won, the Mountie has one of the shorter 
title reigns in history. But here's the actual crazy story, okay? There's a lot more to this story. Allegedly, Brett thought that his contract was up and WCW had offered him a lot of guaranteed money. And the alleged plan was that Brett was going to bring the IC belt like Ric Flair brought the NWA World Championship, the World's Heavyweight Championship, the big gold belt to WWF. Now, WWF obviously didn't want that, so the Mountie got the title just in case Brett left. Now, obviously, things got smoothed out, and Brett came back for Mania. But let's have a quick moment. You know I love to dream book and have revisionist history. If Brett went to WCW in 92, check out the talent. Sting, Lex Luger, Big Van Vader, Cactus Jack, Arn Anderson, Barry Windham, Brian Pillman, Dustin Rhodes, Stunning Steve Austin, Ron Simmons, Jake Roberts, Rick Rude, Larry Zabisco, the Steiner Brothers, Ricky the Dragon Steamboat, the Diamond Stud, a.k.a. Scott Hall, Young Scott Hall, the Great Muda, oh, and a guy named Vinny Vegas, who Brett would go on to have good matches with, like we talked about earlier, Kevin Nash, a.k.a. Diesel. Do some dream booking there, Tag Gang. Look at the work rate of that group, the psychology, the storyline potential. If Bret Hart had went to WCW, a bunch of us fanboys in the internet wrestling community would be really satiated now looking back and seeing what kind of great matches they could have had. Potentially, it was WCW, so you never know. Next up, we have the star power. More than half of the 1992 entrants are in the WWE Hall of Fame. In the order of entry, check this out. You have Ted DiBiase, Ric Flair. Shawn Michaels, Tito Santana, Kerry Von Erich, Greg Valentine, Nikolai Volkov, Big Boss Man, Roddy Piper, Jake Roberts, Jim Duggan, Jimmy Snuka, Randy Savage, Iron Sheik, Hulk Hogan, and Sergeant Slaughter. And out of the order of Hall of Famers, you've got certain, obviously, future in, uh, inductions like The Undertaker. Then you got stars like Davey Boy Smith, Rick Martel, Earthquake, and more. I might have missed some Hall of Famers in there. But that just tells you what kind of star power they had in 92. Um, and last but not least, to tell you why 92 Rumble is the greatest, Ric Flair and Bobby Heenan. Bobby Heenan's best performance ever. You guys can fight me on this. His one-liners are on point. He tells the story of Flair in the Rumble perfectly. He is such a heel in this. It's awesome. Um, he just he, He's masterful. And he keeps saying, that's not fair to Flair. And that was heard a bunch. And he just really told the story about Ric Flair overcoming the odds. And he puts his heel spin on everything. And by the way, he actually correctly um, calls Hogan a heel for what Hogan does to Sid Justice in the match, pulling him out of the ring, allowing Ric Flair to win. win. It wasn't, it, you know, it was a, a, an un-Hulk Hogan-like move, but definitely a heel move. And the WWF tried to play it up as something different, but it was definitely heel. And Bobby Brain Heenan, on point. So Flair is money in this match. He's actually technically the third entry. I told you before about the, the order of entry. That was WWF Hall of Famers. Uh, you have Ted DiBiase, you have British Bulldog, and you have Flair. Uh, he outlasted everyone, showing why he's the dirtiest player in the game. They put him over with the New York crowd. And by New York crowd, I mean WWF fans. Uh, see, even back in the 90s, wrestling still felt territorial. Uh, you were either a WWF fan or a WCW fan. 
And so they weren't used to seeing Flair. Flair took a while for the crowds to warm up to him and really appreciate him. He only been in the company for four months before getting the belt, so McMahon recognized the pedigree. He gives a great promo that had real, genuine emotion in it. He says, with a tear in my eye, this is the greatest night of my life, and among other things. Uh, he really felt used and abused in WCW, and uh, he walked away from them. So now, with this, he was vindicated with winning the WWF World Heavyweight Championship. And he meant it. He meant everything in there. That was a real promo full of genuine emotion and just good for him. Um, since 92, 92, by the way, the way that set up was the World Heavyweight Championship was at stake because um, there were events on uh, Tuesday in Texas um, with Hulk Hogan and The Undertaker and Hulk Hogan and Undertaker at, um, at Survivor Series. And basically what happened was Jack Tunney just declared the belt vacant um, when they had the flip-flop of the championships. So since 92, the winner has received a shot at the gold for WrestleMania. Like they actually get a trip to WrestleMania to win or to try and win the uh, the World Heavyweight Championship or the WWF Championship or even one time the ECW Championship, I think, uh, with a few exceptions, including 2016, where they put the WWE Championship up for grabs again. Ugh, and Triple H won it. <sighs> Ridiculous. The winner doesn't automatically have a rocket ship attached to their back, though. Uh, winning that championship match at Mania, you know, from the Royal Rumble, getting that shot and, and going to WrestleMania, having your moment, winners have only had a 59% success rate in winning the belt. little fun fact for you. Um, the Rumble overall. The Rumble has had some hits and some misses. I hated the one where McMahon won in the Attitude Era during the 90s, but the crowd ate it up. But that just speaks to the popularity of wrestling at the time and the Stone Cold McMahon rivalry because the crowd let a lot of crap happen and didn't boo. Uh, McMahon rolled out of the ring. He didn't come back for a long time. He even did some announcing. He eventually got the win, and I, I just I hated it. I hated every moment of it. I'm, I'm a wrestling guy. I like pro wrestling, and they allowed a lot of stuff in this match. Uh, they also didn't have very much star power, even though wrestling was super popular at the time. Uh, that, that kind of set a bad precedent for rumble matches because you have the guy who would ultimately win, leave the match early, not actually have to wrestle in much at all, then come back and do commentary while everyone else wrestles in it properly. I don't know. Um, Shinsuke Nakamura, man, winning the Royal Rumble in 2018 was cool for the internet wrestling community fans, but who did he face at Mania? What title? Does anybody even remember? Because I sure don't. Uh, Batista. This is the last one I'm going to talk about for, for not-so-good moments. Batista winning the Rumble when Daniel Bryan was the hottest thing in the company, left a lot to be desired. Rey Mysterio came in at 30, and he got booed out of the building in Pittsburgh, and they booed when Batista won because that meant Daniel Bryan was not going to be in the Royal Rumble. Now, eventually, they corrected this mistake and had him win the title at WrestleMania, but if the WWE had had their way, they were not going to go with Daniel Bryan. And I don't care what they say that they had it in their mind all along. They didn't. Um, but the crowd let them know. And this was during the yes movement. And Daniel Bryan was the hottest thing. Um, the yes movement spread to like NCAA basketball and other sports stadiums. I mean, it was huge and they didn't even let the guy in the rumble or win the rumble. It was dumb. Lots of great moments though. Uh, John Cena had an unexpected return from his injury. Shawn Michaels winning the whole thing after being the first entry. Rey Mysterio winning it the year after Eddie Guerrero's death in a big tribute. Um, 
Kane eliminating 11 guys in 50-some minutes. AJ Styles being the best-kept secret with his debut. That was awesome. And man, last year, we got to talk about the 2020 Royal Rumble. Brock Lesnar declares, even though he's the champ, and he wrecks shop at number one, just eliminating wrestler after wrestler, and eventually gets Claymore kicked to hell by the eventual winner, Drew McIntyre. But the real moment of that night was the surprise of Edge returning to the ring. One of the loudest and most sustained pops with his genuine emotion after a comeback from his retirement after injury. Jared and I have talked about this on the show before multiple times. That was the last time we had a big pop, you guys, um, just in general, before the pandemic hit and took crowds away. It's a huge goosebump-inducing moment. If you haven't seen it, you need to go back and do this, really. But guys, that's going to bring an end to my Royal Rumble history and overview episode today because it's coming up. We got it coming up on Sunday and can't wait to see what they do this year on the road to WrestleMania. Uh, You also know that the Raw after the Royal Rumble is always a big deal because they start fleshing out who's going to go to WrestleMania and have moments. So Raw and SmackDown afterwards as well are huge. But Royal Rumble to me is the second most important pay-per-view of the year because it sets up WrestleMania. It's the playoffs and WrestleMania is the Super Bowl. So do yourselves a favor. Whether you are still into WWE or not, I believe that it still has merit that you should watch it, even as a casual fan, because you always see some things that happen that are unexpected. There's always some great matches on the undercard that live up to the hype of a pay-per-view. So with that being said, from the Wrestling Encyclopedia and three-time Indian Leg Wrestling Champion. By the way, we don't do Indian Leg Wrestling Championship uh Royal Rumbles or Battle Royals, that's just too many legs. It looks like bad synchronized swimming. But from the Indian Leg Wrestling Champion three times, this has been Mixed Tag, and I am out.